You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. into the doctor's lounge while wow, that's a little bit loud um your host dr Hal, and uh, ever that's a little low <laughs> we're we're, uh, we're working on some technical things we've got some changes here at america's web radio we've got a whole team here today beside our producer david moxley we've got uh brett and victor here today who are helping us get all situated for our new format which is broadcasting live on Facebook. We're um, bringing in a new audience, and uh, we're going to be able to uh, field questions from those of you who are tuning in and watching us live stream on Facebook. Um, We're going to be getting the questions up uh, very shortly, and we'll be able to uh, get into this um, uh, And uh, as soon as we uh, get a couple of the bugs knocked out of this. But in the meantime, we're going to bring our special guest in here today. Hal, let me uh, remind everybody, they can go to our website and watch it live on YouTube, and that's what we're streaming anyway. But they can also uh, go to Facebook, whichever one's easiest for them. Right. They can, but they can uh, actually get questions into us on Facebook. On Facebook, yeah. And uh, we, can, we can respond in real time uh, to their questions. Today I have a uh, a uh, old old I guess I guess that's the wrong word a very long time and dear friend of mine who is uh, joining us in the doctor's lounge. The doctor's lounge, by the way, is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is dedicated to uh, fighting for. Uh, your healthcare freedom and for the doctor-patient relationship, and we have uh, done this for over a decade. We've uh, worked very hard. You can go to our website at www.d4pcfoundation.org. That's d4pcfoundation.org. And um, familiarize yourself with the things that you need to know about so that you can arm yourself and be prepared to uh, advocate for yourself and for your family's health care, and that's what we do. So please give generously, and no amount is too small, no amount is too big, and uh, in order for us to continue doing what we're doing here today and all the work that we do throughout the year, we need your support. My uh, guest today is a very, very longtime friend of mine who uh, um, is uh, a a very accomplished uh, pediatric urologist, um, Dr. Martin Coyle is the uh, Chief of Pediatric Urology at uh, Toronto Sick Children's Hospital, but he has a, uh, he's been, he's well-traveled, he's, um, he actually spent uh, the majority of his career in the U.S. Um, at L.A., um, at, uh, at UCLA, and at, um, uh, then uh, in uh, at in Denver, the uh, University of Colorado, and then at uh, at uh, um, Seattle um, uh, as the uh, chair of pediatric urology there. Um, Dr. Coyle 
is uh, is is a, uh, a world-renowned pediatric urologist who is uh, known for his innovation, his contributions to the field of pediatric urology. He's he has over 350 publications and book chapters, and um, has served as an editor as uh, to uh, the major urology publications as well as. Um, uh, serving on the major uh, 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 associations in pediatric urology in North America. And in, in addition to that, he has uh, an MBA uh, in management, and uh, he is uh, uh, a, uh, uh, a true uh, scholar of healthcare policy. And he recently wrote an opinion piece that uh, it ha- is yet to be published. It's going to be coming out in the uh, Canadian um, Urologic Association Journal. And um, when I read it, I, um, I, I really could uh, relate to it because it ties together two topics that I have been writing about for years, talking about on this show for years um, we uh, he's really tied together the the topics of um, physician burnout um, as well as um, uh, the challenges of single payer health care being back in Canada, and I think that it's really important to tie these together and bring them together. And there was nobody who I thought would be better suited to talk about this than having uh, Dr. Coyle uh, speak about this uh, live on the show. So, Marty, welcome into the Doctor's Lounge. Thanks, Hal. Nice to be here. Well, you know, Marty, I'm going to get right to it. You you wrote a piece that um, really um, uh, moved a lot of people who um, you uh, shared this with, and um, and we'll, we will get this up on the Docs for Patient Care website and on the uh, America's Web Radio um, Facebook page once once it has been uh, officially released. But can you briefly let and our audience is is a mixed audience, Marty. It's it's you know we have um, in a, in a month we have over thirty thousand downloads, and so many of the people who listen to this are physicians and other healthcare professionals, but a lot are um, lay people who um, are interested in hearing about healthcare topics. So can you um, briefly tell our audience uh, what the, the gist of your article was and what compelled you to write it? So I think when you um, get older, as both of us have, you start reflecting and ask wh- where you are and, and what's driven you and what's brought you joy in your uh, career and your life, etc. And um, I was just thinking how, you know, it was so much fun when I was younger and, and what, whether uh, it was because of the health care system, whether it was because of the camaraderie, uh, uh, whether it was because of places I lived compared to where I am now, I just felt that I wasn't getting the same joy and satisfaction of coming to work every day. And when... <clears throat> You start reading more about burnout, I realized that I was on the road or uh, directly in the jaws of burnout, and I felt that, again, as a senior person, it's important to admit it and to let other people know that it is a problem, and it's something you need to deal with. You can't keep it internally. So uh, 
fortunately, I am an associate editor of the journal, which allows me some freedom to um, submit my views. And I, I wrote a piece, and the senior editor who um, uh, wrote the introduction to my uh, opinion, uh, I think, was quite complimentary and supportive of, of bringing this up as a topic, at least for uh, the Canadian public. And hopefully, again, it's something that's not unique to me uh, that will also be reflective of how you and others may feel in the U.S. You know, Marty, um, there's, there's so much to unpack here that uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to do it in just an hour. But Now know, I've lost the feed from you. I can't can, hear you now. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. So I said that there's so much to unpack here, and hopefully we can do this, cover it um uh, Gone again. Huh. There's something going on here, Marty. I'm so sorry. Can you hear me now? Can you hear us now? Yeah, I got you now. Okay. Something's going on. I, we, I'm not sure what it is. But but um, there's a lot to unpack here, and I hope that we'll be able to get to everything in an hour. But um, you um, mentioned burnout. This is something that our audience has heard me talk about. Why is this important for people um, other well, than I, physicians? I think, you know, when we've uh, spent long, hard hours becoming who we've become, and part of, part of, the, uh, of anybody's career, I don't care whether it's a doctor or a lawyer or a, a plumber, the reality is uh, it's all give and take, and, and uh, it's a balance in life. And I think what you do for 8 to 10 to 12 to 14 hours of the day and and sometimes taking the, the work home with you has to bring joy to you and satisfaction. And when it becomes a job ra- rather than a passion, uh, to me, I think it's time to reflect and ask yourself, is this what I want to do and keep doing for the rest of your life? So reality is I don't think this is unique to physicians or unique to me um, or unique to the Canadian versus the American health care system. I think the we're in a... Uh, uh, a very different world than you and I grew up in, of where disruptive technology has has really necessitated that we play a catch up game and that we're always behind and trying to catch up. And it's it's difficult for oldsters like me, and perhaps for you, to um, uh, embrace newer technologies, newer changes, newer demands, and also to work in a system where. There's more demands of us from, uh, socially from our patients, uh, from our hospitals, from our insurers, whoever it tends to be. Well, you know, what I guess where I was going is, um, you know, the people should be concerned about this and about their physicians burning out because it will impact the um, care that, that patients get when their physicians are are feeling stressed when they are you know i view burnout really not not so much as um a uh, a problem where you are having difficulty adapting but i view it more as a, as a form of ptsd sorry i lost you again huh you know what i'm wondering if it may be your your on your end morty if it's coming from because because everything you want me to try to call back in you know what can you uh do that and uh let's let's let me i'll just uh, uh you know what we'll have you call back in at the break can you hear me now though
Okay. So I, I'm saying that this is really a form of PTSD, I think, more than it is a individual challenge to uh, to doctors and, and problems with them adapting. I, I like the term that your editor for your journal coined, which is moral injury, that yep. that um, that doctors are um, are being asked to do things that are um, that 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 um, not not just challenging, but really are are a, a contrary to what what they um, feel they should be doing as a doctor, whether it is prescribing a medication that um, is uh, not the medication that they want to give because their system won't cover it or or some other thing. And we've got a hard break right here, Marty. So I'm going to have you call back in, and okay. we're, we're going to go to a commercial break, and we'll be back. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're back in the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Howe. We are broadcasting uh, live on uh, the America's Web Radio page and also on Facebook. And Facebook um, viewers and uh, listeners can uh, uh, type in questions, and we'll try to incorporate that into our uh, conversation with Dr. Marty Coyle, our guest, who is the um, the chief of uh, pediatric urology at Toronto Sick Children's Hospital, and um, he has recently uh, penned a piece that uh, brought together um, physician burnout as well as the um, as the uh, uh, possibly the single payer healthcare system. And Marty, when we left off, we talked about. Uh, whether or not this is really something that is a, a phenomenon that is uh, uh, 
that falls into the doctor's realm or is this something that's happening to them? Because I think burnout implies that that doctors are just um, facing a, um, you know, uh, challenges and, and they're not able to meet them and they're burning out versus what I'd like to say is something that's happening to them um, and creating a, a, uh, a serious reaction, a PTSD kind of uh, reaction because of things that doctors are now compelled to do uh, that's contrary to what they are, um, their, their Hippocratic Oath or, or, their, or, or just what, what they uh, have been trained to do. What, do you th- what say you? Well, I like your concept of PTSD. I don't think either of us are true experts on the subject, but the reality is uh, I, I think that if you, if you look at some of the parallels, we certainly uh, have those similarities. But the reality is, Hal, when you look at what we do, and, you know, we're not smarter than anybody else, but but in general what we've had to go through in our whole careers has been uh, competitive. We've had to go to the best colleges, had had to uh, overachieve to get into medical school, compete to get into a good residency and training program, ultimately into a job. And we, we weren't trained to be businessmen. We weren't trained to be leaders. We weren't trained, and we're not necessarily very good followers either, which makes it very difficult. And what happens, especially when we're in a, a group mentality, uh, where we're physicians who don't all think the same, don't have the same ideals, and we lack the leadership that we may have had at one, at one time, we've lost control. So, the system controls us rather than us being part of the system and having us determine our fate. And any time, I don't care, again, what field or facet you have as a career or a vocation, but if the bar keeps getting higher and higher every time you jump and you keep working and working to make that bar, and eventually the bar reaches a point where it's unachievable. And I think that's what has happened to many of us in medicine is over the last 20 years when we see the the evolution of the internet and emails and cell phones and and uh, corporate medicine um, there's been so many changes that have influenced us that it's taken away our passion for the actual giving and relationships that we have with our patients Marty you know you um experienced what I would say was the best healthcare system in the world, the, the, the U.S. healthcare system. You practiced your entire career there, and you have been like a salmon swimming upstream instead of coming downstream like so many Canadians have done. They've, they've uh, escaped the, the Canadian healthcare system trying to gain entry into the U.S., and you've gone against the grain um tell tell us what what that experience has been like you know it's funny how um as you know i I lean a little bit more left or centrist than than you and maybe some of your listeners do and uh as uh, as a canadian uh, with dual citizenship i'm also a proud american uh i did um i went to medical school in canada uh and left uh, immediately after I finished 
uh, uh, as a career choice, uh, not necessarily uh, reflecting my feelings about American versus Canadian medicine. It's interesting that my first relationship in the United States in training was at a county hospital where I felt the care that patients received uh, and I'm not and I'm proud to admit that I was at Los Angeles County Hospital I thought the care there was really really great I thought it was a team approach we practiced really good medicine we worked hard it was a team relationship and when I had left Canada in 1976 and graduating from medical school I saw a pretty new system, the, the Canadian health care system of a single-payer system, and it's not truly a single-payer system, by the way. It's 14 different systems based on each province and territory having their own system. I thought it was, in concept, a good idea, okay? I came back 40 years later, and it was as if I had walked in the front door and came in the back door and nothing had changed. Uh, so... When I compare it, I look at a system in Canada in many ways that reflected my experience in VA hospitals in the 1980s. So again, I can't say what the experience is today, but in the 1980s, uh, when I was a resident at Harvard, we rotated through the VA system, and we would have massive clinics, 70 to 80 patients, uh, really no rhyme or reason behind how and who they came in, and it was really a volume-driven system. The difference was I felt that the, the veterans deserved great care. They deserved our attention, and the relationships that we had to have uh, with them I think was, was great. I mean, you felt a strong relationship. In Canada, we're in the same volume-driven system. So in my clinic, I'm asked to see an inordinate amount of patients, who are run through sort of an assembly line fashion based on first come, first serve. Um, I don't know their physicians like I did in the States. I don't know them, the families personally. I don't know the children's personally. So it's, it's a much colder relationship. And that's what I think has affected me the most, that I don't feel there's this – I think there's an entitlement here that's very different than the entitlement – that I felt the the veterans deserved in the United States. I don't think that, that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and I don't think that veterans actually um, feel entitlement. To be honest with you, I think that they are probably, as a group, the most appreciative patients that I have ever taken care of. Absolutely. Um, but but I think that what you really are seeing in Canada is uh, can be compared really to the Medicaid population in the U.S. who believe that health care is a right, that um, the physician is not a, a professional but a, but a cog in the wheel of something that they are um, entitled to and they have no skin in the game. I think you've written in your piece that People don't show up for appointments. They're late for appointments. They don't follow instructions. These are the, these are the, you know, I don't mean to paint this with a broad brush, but I think that, um, by and large, the group of patients that we see here in the U.S., 
that fits that bill are the Medicaid patients who are the largest group of no-shows. They, they make appointments and then they don't show up for them. And, um, because they really, uh, because for them, as an entitlement, healthcare has no value. And, um, and that's, and that's, you know, the sad reality of, I think, what, what happens when, um, when you really, uh, don't have any skin in the game. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that's probably one of the major issues is that if you feel it's entitlement, and again, I, 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 I echo your feelings about the veterans that there was a great appreciation for the care we provided for them. Uh, so, and I felt the entitlement was we were entitled uh, to provide uh, them with great care because of what they've done and what they do for our country. But, but I think when, bec- when health care becomes an entitlement and the concept to the consumer is that it's free, to me it, it is the problem, is that uh, here, you know, we pay a huge amount of income tax, much of which goes into uh, the health system, just like the United States. It's a huge portion of our GDP. But the reality is that people look at it as free, and they don't realize they're actually paying taxes into the system to support it. And as a result, they're responsible for it. I think when you pay taxes, you have a responsibility. And and likewise, the government has a responsibility to, to assure that they're getting the best bang for your money. Uh, and I don't see that happening. And I think that that's going to be problematic with an aging population as as we keep people alive with more diseases where the costs of medicine and technology continue to increase. Marty, I know that you follow what's going on in the U.S. very closely, and we're going to a hard break. So I'm going to give you uh, this question, and then we're going to break and come back and have you answer it. But... Um, you um, know that right now the political environment in the U.S. is very charged, and one side is um, claiming that the solution is a single-payer health care system or Medicare for all, which is socialized medicine. And the other side is um, fighting back, uh, pushing back very strongly against that, and um, and acknowledges that health care is broken, but it's not an either-or proposition. So I would like you, when we get back from this break, to uh, to comment on that, to weigh in, and um, and and to uh, answer the question is uh, is that the direction that the U.S. should be looking at in terms of uh, revamping the healthcare system? So stay with us for the answer in the Docs for Patient Care. Oh, I'm sorry, in the in the in the Doctors Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the doctor's lounge with my wise guys here today, and um, my guest is Dr. Marty Coyle. We've been talking about single payer healthcare and physician burnout. Um, Facebook listeners, watchers can get live questions. I'll have a question after um, Dr. Coyle answers the uh, last question that I left him with in the break. Marty, can you uh, uh, um, comment on, on what we just talked about regarding um, whether or not the U.S. should be uh, thinking about single-payer health care? So I think that's probably a very complicated system because of the layers in the U.S. health system system already. There's private hospitals, there's for-profit hospitals, there's not-for-profit hospitals, there's county hospitals, there's city hospitals, there's VAs, there's military hospitals. In Canada, they've all been rolled into one. So everything has sort of, I think, gone down to to a medium rather than to having a top-bottom approach. So you, you have centers of excellence here. There is a referral upstream. But what we talked about before now is the issue of skin in the game. And I don't think you, the system here works because it's a single-payer system where the consumer has no skin in the game. So North Korea, Cuba, and Canada are the only systems with no alternative to their single-payer, no-skin-in-the-game system. And I think that the U.S. has to be very cautious because all of a sudden suggest that we have only a Medicare system with a single payer uh, with with a very huge um, uh, model that that likely from a business perspective is con- controlled by non-physicians and uh, where it becomes a business is, pot- is potentially dangerous. So the great thing about the American system is the competitive market that one system does have to compare uh, itself against its neighbor in order to succeed. And that's been no different than any other business model and no different than your physician group compared to some other physician group. If you do a good job, uh, you're going to continue to uh, get patients. And if you provide proper care and have good outcomes, you're going to continue to be rewarded for it rather than just saying you are a commodity in a system where everything, uh, again, becomes an entitlement. So do I support the concept of having uh, health care for all? Absolutely. But do I also support the concept 
of uh, uh, health care for all, meaning you have skin in the game? Definitely. But also with the proviso that there needs to be a second year that the people have the income, can afford supplementary in- insurance, want a nicer hospital, want their surgery done uh, sooner or by a specific physician, and they they can afford the supplementary insurance, great. I think the key is to get rid of the uninsured and have health care for everybody. But at the same time, I don't think a single system with a single payer that's controlled by a bureaucracy will be successful in the United States, especially to consumers who are used to the current system. And unfortunately, that's what's being served up to um, to the American electorate, where there are two plans that are being um, uh, discussed in uh, in in Congress, one in the House and one in the Senate. Both of them are based on a system where they would outlaw the uh, the uh, private contracting between a patient and a physician, including employer based health care. Everything would be outlawed. Doctors who participate in that would be criminalized, and um, so so this is this is really I think a uh, a fool's a fool's paradise to think that that uh, you can have a system where um, everything that you want is covered. And they don't realize that in the in places where they have. Um, uh, a socialized health care system that the only way to afford it is to ration the care. So how what I have in my system right now is that if I train somebody to do what you and I do, they can't just put a shingle up and compete with me. There has to be a position which is allocated by the government for them to compete. So I have no competition. I can do a lousy job or a good job. It it doesn't matter because I know there's no competition, and that's not good. The other thing is that right now our family, so we have more of a um, uh, uh, um, primary care approach here where you have to go to your primary care provider in order to see a specialist. There has to be a referral made. So Unlike you, where a patient may know what a pediatric urologist does and can make an appointment to see you directly, I can't see someone who wants to see me unless they've gone to their family doctor first. The problem is the family doctors are so inundated now that they've become just a referral service, and I think they're losing pride in what they do. And and many of them now have signs on their wall limiting the number of complaints that that a patient can have when they see their family doctor. So, <laughs> if, if you have three different problems that you're coming in with, you have to make the decision, and you're not a doctor, as to what what your choice is to see the doctor at that time, and then set up two more appointments for your other complaints. Well, is criminal. That's that's not what we intend. No, that's 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 really very scary. Um, I have a Facebook question from Victor who uh, wants to know, if health care is a right, then wouldn't it mean that everyone would have a right to the sweat equity of a doctor? In other words, I can demand that a doctor give me their time, their expertise, care in general at no cost. I just demand service as if I own part of the said doctor. What, what do you think about that? How do you respond? 
So I think you can look at that question many ways. And, and I think to some consumers here, they feel that, that that's exactly their right, is that they should, if their health care is free, and they can demand an answer and an opinion uh, at their leisure. Isn't isn't <laughs> I I don't mean to make this more political than it is, but isn't that slavery? <laughs> I I guess you can define it any way you want, but but it, it but again, it, it, I'm not saying we should have a paternalistic doctor-patient relationship, which is the way you and I grew up. Uh, I think consumers are more savvy now. The internet has given them a lot more ideas and concepts of medicine right and wrong uh, so there's good and bad about uh, what, what what patients know but the reality is I think that much of what we do now is based on discussion and involvement with the patient and it's not just uh, that, that the patient can have a demand and, and you and I both know that many patients do come in asking for a certain surgery or asking for a certain medicine and it may not be the right answer for them. But you know also, which is one of the foibles of the system, is that they, they will eventually, if they search long enough, find someone who will do that surgery or will provide that medicine, and that's not right either. Yes, that's, that's absolutely correct. I, I would agree with that. You know, Marty, many many Canadians have used the U.S. healthcare system as a safety valve because of the unavailability or limitations for urgent or specialized care in Canada. When, if, if the U.S. went single-payer, socialized health care, outlawing private practice, what, what would that mean for Canada? So, you know, I, I can tell you that complex care in Canada is done very well as is primary care. The things that are a big issue that I see here are the cues in the system, so people are waiting, especially for quality of life issues, so it's non-life or death issues. So, for, for instance, if you or I needed a hip replacement, and you're working right now, Hal, if you were told you were going to be in pain, you'd have to take time off, this, that, or the other, and wait six months, because that's what... Uh, arbitrarily the government has said you have to wait and you're not seeing patients you're not working as hard so you can't pay taxes you're not paying the same taxes into the system that you might have nobody's looking at that other revenue and the effect of that plus you're suffering who knows you may become a drug addict because you, you know you need a pain uh, pain relief for that so unlike in the states where i know that if i needed a hip replacement I could get a referral tomorrow, and I can have the surgery next week if I wanted. And that's the reality. Here it's not. Here there's going to be a queue. Um, uh, there's going to be a queue for a CT scan. There's going to be a queue for an MRI scan. Anything that's quality of life or diagnostic uh, is is going to not be taken care of in, in necessarily a timely, on-demand fashion, the, the way you and I are used to in the United States. That being said, however, if you have a critical illness, I, I can tell you that the care is superb here. They're, you know, cardiac uh, surgeons are superb. The cancer care is superb. 
Um, and I think the physicians, the nurses, everybody else in the system are just as committed as they are anywhere. But the reality, it's really the quality of life issue, uh, the patients with glaucoma, cataracts, issues like that, that may also affect your job, your ability to drive, everything else, that are really uh, an impediment that I don't think an American would tolerate with a single-payer system the way it is Canada in Canada. So um, a few years back, um, the premier of Newfoundland, Danny um, Williams, right, went to Miami for have his cardiac surgery. Ex- yeah. Exactly, and he took a lot of flack in Canada uh, and um, said that this is his health care and uh, it's his health he's he's concerned about, and he'll do whatever he he uh, feels is is necessary for him to be able to take care of himself. So. You know, I, th- I think that that's, that's uh, a marvelous thing, and people should be able to do that. And what I, what I um, just am astounded by is the direction that this conversation is taking in the U.S., how far left this has gone, and what are these people who advocate for this kind of system thinking that they're going to do when we when they no longer have the safety valve so i mean if they're going to outlaw the alternative i.e. also uh, uh, a second tier and again i i don't like to look at that as an elitist way so you brought up danny williams and i think if anything that exemplifies um a two-tier system here's somebody who had the means or the policy to to have his care in a place that he thought provided the best care for him. And shouldn't he have that right if he does have uh, have uh, the ability to do so? That's that's what democracy is all about when you have choice. When, you, when we decide that socially something is necessary, and that means health care for all, that's a different agenda. And I think, again, that that's our humanistic uh, goal is to care for everybody and make sure they have at least critical illness uh, and basic illness taken care of. And, you know, if you have the alternative, you take advantage of it. And it doesn't mean uh, it's elitist. Uh, it means that you've worked hard. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you've inherited money so that you can pay for your insurance. If you've worked hard and can afford the insurance to care for something in a private fashion you take advantage of it yeah we've we've gone a little bit long we're going to take our last break and uh then finish up with my guest dr martin coyle in the last segment in the doctor's lounge so stay with us the docs for patient care foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy 
or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being with us today on our uh, on our inaugural Facebook uh, uh, live feed. This is um, uh, something that we're hoping will take off, and that Facebook listeners will will um, get questions in and and give us an opportunity to answer and. Victor's been very busy on Facebook, and we really appreciate that. So we uh, hope that this will be something that uh, we can incorporate as a regular um, part of this show. And Dr. Marty Coyle has been um, good enough to be with us this hour and talk about his experiences uh, moving from the U.S. to Canada with uh, free market. Well, I don't know if you can call our the healthcare system in the U.S. free market, but more free market than in Canada. And um, and his uh, his dilemma um, facing uh, changes and uh, realizing physician burnout. Um, Marty, um, you um, in your article uh, have uh, uh, mentioned that there are ways that uh, people should be able to cope with with uh, physician burnout. I, I, I would um, be interested to uh, hear your thoughts about how how that might be possible. Marty, you there? Did we lose him? Oh, boy. All right. Do you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Yeah, sorry. Um, um, did you, yeah, I heard your question. So so I don't think there's uh, one answer for all. I think we, uh, uh, you know, the way I dealt with it was first to realize that I, I wasn't the same person who I was. I was becoming more cynical I was becoming angrier. My relationships uh, at work were not what they had been, and so I had to say, well, "What is it?" I looked at, had to look in the mirror, and I didn't just see a guy who's getting older. I saw a guy who was really not satisfied. And when you do that, you take a step back. And for me, I went on the internet, read read a little bit more about burnout. So again, uh, something that I I think in the um, Piece. I, I admit that I didn't think it could ever happen to me being a workaholic. I mean, I, I felt, you know, I could go forever, and then I realized I, I wasn't the same person. Uh, so what I did is uh, I went to my family doctor, because, again, you can't see another doctor without getting referred. And my family doctor took a lot of time with me. We sat and talked, and she said, do you want to see a psychiatrist? which I said, I don't know, I mean, how's a psychiatrist going to help me? Did you say, are you crazy? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see that part when I looked at Lemire, but I guess I guess I should have seen that. And uh, I went to uh, a psychiatrist who ha- has been invaluable. I mean, it, I've, I haven't needed any medication or anything else, but but it's allowed me to vent to somebody who's an independent uh, observer. And I must admit that one thing about the single payer system here is my psychiatric care or my uh, my therapy with her is is totally paid for. I don't pay a nickel out of pocket for that. Do you show up for your appointments? I'm always five minutes early for everything. <laughs> that's so, your that's your American training, not your Canadian. Absolutely, absolutely, no doubt about that. Time time is money. So. Uh, <laughs> So, so the answer is, uh, I did that, and I've also taken time during the the day where, you know, I never thought I'd, I'd just close the. Uh, I've always had an open door policy in my office. I now close the door uh, for fifteen minutes every single day in the in the afternoon, and uh, turn off the lights in my office, turn off my computer, turn off my cell phone, and just sit there and think. You know, just ask myself, okay, what am I doing today? What, uh, uh, you know, am I pissed off at anybody? Am I, did this bring me satisfaction? And I, I try to then think about other things. I mean, what, uh, the beach, uh, a, an upcoming trip, a good meal, whatever it turns out to be. But I, I then try to redirect myself to something totally non-medical. Uh, the other things I've done is to really make sure that my other interests outside of medical uh, medicine have been optimized, so I've gone back to music lessons. I I go to the theater more. Uh, I make sure that I'm cooking more, which I used to love to do. And and so the reality is, I think you have to broaden yourself and extricate yourself from where you see the problems, but not deny that those problems are there. So that's me time that you are talking about. Absolutely. But you know, I, I you know I, I bring this back to. The fact that um, you're talking about coping mechanisms, and I think it's very important for people, regardless of whether they're physicians or they're lawyers or accountants or any any field that has strain on it. You know, you need to number one have coping mechanisms, and number two have me time. But you know, it, when you and I started in practice, it was not unusual to see doctors who were in practice well into their 80s and lots of them not not just a few but lots of them you had to you had to force people out of practice and nowadays people are looking are heading for the exits they're, they're thinking about it in their 50s or in their early 60s and um, you know, I, I don't think that doctors have changed. I think that it's the it's it's the environment that has has uh, resulted in this, and this is very dangerous for patients. We got we well, just I, got about five minutes, Marty. So we're going to wrap this up. Well, Hal, I think you also have to look at what today's medical students uh, want to go into, and unlike you and me. Uh, uh, they're going into uh, shift work jobs, you know, and I hate to say that as a ne- that's not meant to be a negative, but it is. But it is a, qu- but it is a quality of life issue. So there's uh, anesthesia where they they don't have to have their direct one-on-one patient care day and night. 
dermatology where there's less emergencies, which, again, a great field. They do a great service. Emergency medicine, those who finish internal medicine are becoming more hospitalists, again, based on shifts as time goes on. So the reality is, is lifestyle has a huge impact on what people do nowadays, whereas I think you and I grew up in a different era where we didn't mind the 80-hour or 90-hour work week, and we actually relished it. We wanted more. Well, I think we identify as physicians first. If people yeah. ask what what we are, you know, we, we identify as physicians, and I, I think that the young people today don't view medicine so much as a career but as a way station in life, and they're thinking that there's going to be other things for them to do. And, and I don't know if that's completely good or bad. There's also more uh, medical schools than there were when you and I went. So, that, again, uh, hopefully the, the job market for the people who who chose careers like us are, are, uh, are still plentiful. But And I, I don't um, negate the importance of the people who have chosen uh, um, quality of life careers. I think they've made a decision, but I, I, it also reflects the difference in people who are in medicine today and how medicine has changed. You've got to remember when you and I were in medical school, emergency, full-time emergency medicine was just starting. Mm-hmm. Hospitalists were unheard of. Right, that's Interventional right. radiology and things like that were unheard of. So medicine has changed and the opportunities and careers have changed as well. Which is not necessarily beneficial for patient care in my opinion. So Right. So I have a question, last question. Um, if if you uh, had an ab- ability to turn the clock back a bit, um, do you would you uh, go back to Canada, or uh, let me ask it a different way, do you regret leaving the U.S. and going to Canada? Do you think that that's contributed to uh, some of the some of the um, problems and challenges that you faced? So uh, I, I, I'm one of those who, once I've made a decision. I try not to look at it as a bad decision. I try to make the most of what I've done. Uh, I think I've gained a lot by coming here. Uh, likely, had this been earlier in my career, I'd be looking at uh, opportunities to come back to the United States. I'm, I'm not denying that. I think I enjoyed my practice of medicine and the way I dealt with patients far more in the United States. I, I love my academic side. I love my uh, teaching side here and mentoring. I love the fact that I went on and uh, did a master's in quality improvement patient safety, which I think has really uh, uh, in, enlightened me in many ways and also uh, given me a lot of joy in pursuing that as a, as a new avenue and hopefully something I can do when I ultimately retire from clinical medicine. So. The answer in many ways is sort of a guarded. Uh, it really depends on where one is in their career. But had I been younger, yes, I would have come back to the States. That's, that's I think, a very telling uh, answer for um, those who um, are, are uh, telling uh, the American public how great a single-payer health care system can be. So, you know, Marty, um, I... I uh, appreciate you sharing your story with our listeners and uh, taking an hour and talking with us i i think that I, i've had i've had a really uh good time uh 
talking with you today, and I hope that uh, you've you've uh, had a, uh, a a good time as well. I've really enjoyed it, and I uh, look forward to coming back if you ever want me. Oh, Marty, I, I can promise you that uh, we do want you, and we will have you back here in the doctor's lounge. So, okay. uh, so uh, uh, again, I want to uh, thank uh, my my wise guy team in here today who've helped me on Facebook, and and I, I hope that the, the Facebook listeners, uh, watchers, um, will uh, tell their friends and share this with them so that we can build on this platform because I think it's really um, a great opportunity to get uh, the listening public involved in the conversation. So uh, come back with us. I'll be back in two weeks. My co-host, Dr. Mike, will be here uh, next week, and I'll be back with you in two weeks on the Doctor's Lounge. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.